Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello everyone, welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your guest, Odo Sevilla, and today we have a very special guest, Nick Conrad. Nick is the founder of Twilight Golf Association. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. So the audience will get to know you a little better, but before that, if you can just give them a brief general overview of who is Twilight Golf Association. Sure. Twilight Golf Association is a national golf organization that specifically organizes golf leagues and outings uh, that are played at public facilities across the U.S. Um, in a very niche uh, time frame, which is during twilight hours. So we are a weeknight adult recreational league organization um, that focuses on that specific time of day during golf season. Beautiful. Um, be before we go into the business, I like to get the audience to get to know you a, a little personally. Are you originally from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? Sure. Yeah, no. So I am uh, I'm originally from uh, New Jersey. Uh, we uh, recently, uh, as adults, my wife and I, uh, we moved to Maryland uh, about seven years ago. And we've made it home. Uh, we, we do love it here. And uh, we're starting to raise our family here. So. Um, yeah, we are. We are Baltimore through and through. So you're from Jersey. Growing up in Jersey, I, I have to ask, did you do any type of sports? I know now that you're involved with golf or was it your interest totally something different? How are you growing up as a child in Jersey? Sure. Yeah, I loved growing up in New Jersey. Um, we, we, I would say I grew up in the shadows of uh, the Little League Baseball capital of the U.S., uh, right next to Thomas River, New Jersey, which is uh, a town that's gone to Williamsport and won the, the world championships a few times. Uh, so yeah, baseball was a really, uh, uh, something I, I loved playing growing up football, um, along with hockey and some other, some other sports, but yeah, sports were a huge part of, uh, growing up for me. And even our, our staff right now, uh, comprises a, a few people that I, I played youth sports with, which is also kind of interesting that, uh, some of, some of my business, uh, in my work life now involves people that I, I grew up playing sports with. That's nice. I understand also after you finished college, you also did some coaching, right? Yes. Yep. I have a background in coaching high school and college athletics, um, coached football for a few years before uh, entering the business world. Okay. So you were coaching football then? Yes. You went, so after New Jersey, did you stay around there for college or where did you attend? Sure. Yeah. I attended uh, University of Notre Dame uh, out in Indiana. Uh, right out of high school, I went I went there. Um, after graduating, I did uh, make my way back to New Jersey to coach. Coached uh, at Princeton University, 
And then um, my next stop was at the University of Buffalo um, up in upstate New York. I uh, coached there for um, during a graduate assistantship. So I was doing some graduate schooling and, and coaching both the football program there. And then once I finished there um, is where I came to Maryland next. With all this coaching football, was it what type of coaching? Was it head coach or other type of offensive lineman or defense or what exactly? Yeah, I had found myself on uh, on offense in basically every single coaching role I had. So um, I was an assistant, so I was always kind of a lower. I was a younger guy on the staff, um, someone that was very much in a learning role. It felt like for for most of my my uh, my time in coaching. Um, but yeah, always on offense. I worked with wide receivers. I worked with quarterbacks. Um, work with tight ends at certain points. So uh, mostly skilled player positions. You did that for many years, right, Nick? Yes. Yeah. Between co- coach high school for a little bit as well. Um, and then, and then college too. Uh, were you ever, did you ever consider as far as possibly, you know, going up to the majors as far as NFL or anything like that? Was that ever a thought or, or no? Yeah. The interesting thing about the coaching industry is, um, you know, a lot of the opportunities that come, you, you don't necessarily apply for them like you do in business. You know, job postings and things like that are, um, while they are out there, it's really an industry that it's kind of about who you've worked with before and and, and the opportunities kind of come um, and you have to take them, right? So um, it, it is an industry that you have to stay in coaching almost long enough to to uh, for that maybe to happen to you, right? It could happen early, it could happen later in your career, but um, I would say in coaching, the opportunities come to you more than you go out and seek certain opportunities. So, um, yeah, it would have been awesome. Uh, I definitely uh, I, I don't miss coaching as far as a career, but um, some of those experiences that you can get from coaching at you know, high level college or NFL um, are probably as good as you can get, I think, for, for anyone that does do it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's all about relationships and connections. Uh, I'm sure you don't see a job posting as far as a head coach for the whatever the, you know, Washington commanders, whatever, maybe are the Ravens. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that position will be filled by somebody who's worked closely with somebody before. And, and that the fraternity of coaching is also, I think, probably the greatest part of it. And, and that can exist in business too. Um, it, it's not, it's not all too different in business. Um, it's, it is nice when it works that way, when, um, you know, you're constantly being surrounded by people that you have a familiarity with and, um, you know, you welcome in new people and, and you bring them on. Um, in a way that, you know, they then become a part of your network. And uh, yeah, it, it is hard to crack into the coaching industry, just like it can be hard to crack into to business. Sure. So after you leave the coaching industry, what do you head into? So when I moved to Maryland, um, I, I kind of had a, a little bit of a ground zero mindset of, okay, now I'm going to be pivoting careers and I'm going to be uh, using the business degree that I got and, and hoping to find something that resonated with me. Um and, and really didn't have the intent of, of ever starting a business. But um, when kind of the opportunity and, and the idea and and those things kind of came together of here's a problem that might be something that, you know, somebody should be solving. Um, I, I would say the entrepreneurial light bulb came on uh, just by happenstance for me. Sure. So I, I, Twilight came into existence because of a problem. So what were you what was happening that you're like, Hey, what about this? Since it doesn't exist in the marketplace. Right. Yeah. So the, you know, the journey I had to starting this business was, it it was a problem that I was facing. Right. So I I was kind of my own customer. I, once I got out of coaching, 
hobbies were something I wanted to be a part of my life. Since when you're uh, someone that's involved in, whether it's even coaching youth sports or high school, you realize that takes up all your time. And so transitioning to uh, a normal work life balance, I said, I want to learn how to do something. I want to pick up a new hobby. And golf was the one sport I didn't play growing up. Golf was a sport that uh, I knew would require a lot of time and that I also knew would require, you know, playing with like-minded people. And it's something that, you know, you don't want to do alone. It's a social sport. And so when I moved to Maryland, I, I had difficulty finding, you know, groups of like-minded people that were like me. Um, and a lot of that was because there wasn't uh, necessarily great options for for joining uh, golf clubs that made it easy for for you to co- consistently participate, right? So there's there are golf leagues. Uh, many of them are many. Uh, many of these groups are you know fragmented by you have to be a certain gender. You know, it's a men's association or it's a ladies' association, um, or they they have a you know a time of the day restriction where it's we play on weekend mornings or we play on weekday mornings, which for the working person is inconvenient. Um, so I, again, I, as an outsider observing, saw a lot of fragmented uh, ways that what I thought I was a pretty normal, common uh, you know, consumer of golf. And hey, if I'm if I'm this pretty average person that's looking to get into the sport, which apparently has at the time it had a difficulty getting people to be interested in it. So this is a problem that there's someone like me who's with open arms trying to find a community, and uh, the constraint is that there's no one willing to organize uh, play that that has that has limited barriers, then somebody should, you know, there's probably a business opportunity. There's probably somebody that can say, what if I, what if I did nothing else than, than organize this? Because it's hard for anybody, whether it's, you know, any sport or any type of outside of work obligation, if someone's going to be willing to donate their time to organize that activity, it's a lot of work. And um, I felt like if someone just dropped everything and, and did and focused on organizing these types of groups that it would help a lot of people find uh, what they're looking for. But during this time, you're still employed full time and you're thinking of doing this and starting this on the side, right? Yes. Yeah. I started as a, just a small, almost like a test, right? I wanted to be a part of it myself. So mm-hmm. can I find other people that would also join this with me? And then um, second to that, I said, what if I did this and I had nothing, if I wasn't maybe a part of it, if I just was the organizer. And so, yeah, I went through a, a summer of, testing it out locally here. I was trying to see, could we, could we create some golf clubs and some, uh, some association like feels of people that say, Hey, I can, if I join this, I get these sort of opportunities to play. And I, I'm sure, how was the turnout? I mean, we're talking today, so I'm sure it went well. Yes. So the first summer, um, I created a website, got some help to you know, help put together, maybe, you know, some, some very basic marketing materials, I worked alongside uh, with the general managers and the head golf professionals at these courses to find out how how we could do this because they when I, and then what I found out then was they wanted the same thing. These golf courses said, "Yeah, we'd actually love these. We'd love more business. We'd love people to come here more, but we have our constraints of our own." Um, so you know, there's the there's the, there was the constraint I identified of there's not people willing to organize this type of open source low barrier entry league. The golf course says, yeah, and also we don't organize it because we're pretty constrained over here. We have to teach lessons. We have, we have to run a – basically, we're running our own business here. We have to run a golf shop that has apparel and maybe food and beverage, and we also have to worry about course conditions and work alongside a superintendent. So we're, you know, we have a really busy day that 
organizing these extra outings and leagues, it's a lot of work uh, and, and added customer service that we, we also don't have time to do this. So the early reception was great from golf courses. There, there was a lot of interest in saying, we'll, we'll help you do this. We can help set aside time. Um, we can help you promote it. If you're willing to do all the work to keep it going, um, we'll, we'll help work with you on this uh, to get it started. Do you remember, Nick, around what year was this? Uh, this would have been in 2017. Okay. So if I can just briefly take you back for that year, obviously now you're, I need to get the word out that this is, this association exists and we can, so how do you do that? You said you had some marketing material there. So do you, do you go to these golf courses and hand them out? Well, what happens next? So the, the initial marketing plan that I thought of, we still use today. Um, because I do think golf is not different than a lot of other businesses. And I think authenticity matters um, in advertising to be, you know, as authentic and as relatable as possible. Um, I, I Obviously not unique in that thought process, but um, flyers to me stood out as a really, you know, you see that's it, what the sport kind of uses. It's familiar, right? People that you play in a golf outing or you play in a golf tournament um they're traditionally promoted by flyers so it wasn't going to try to reinvent the wheel there but in order to draw interest i said these have to be some of the best flyers these have to be so i, I did take them very seriously and say how can we make these as as bright informational exciting um you know i want to you want to try to make what you're doing stand out and so um, i invest a lot of time and energy into making uh, flyers as best as I could, right? And so I said, okay, if we, if we make a really good advertisement, how can we get it in the hands of people? And I generally say there's four ways that we advertise. And they're all pretty grassroots and they cost zero dollars. So, you know, so for anyone that is starting a business and looking to, you know, how do I advertise my business? Um, I would say try to exhaust every single avenue of, of zero cost or, you know, zero dollar spent advertising as possible um, because that's where ultimately balance sheets and being able to actually run a business uh, can, can make a big difference, right? Um, crossing your fingers and spending on advertising is and hoping it works is not a great strategy. So I so said, what are the, what are the $0 opportunities to get the word out? Um, so we create a flyer, as you said, let's go to the clubhouse and we'll drop them off, right? That's a pretty authentic way to get people to find out about what you're doing, right? They're seeing it in person. It looks, it's, it's a familiar way to advertise. So we do that. Uh, we use that same graphic. We send them to golf courses that are willing to advertise it. And I say, well, you could post it on your website, right? Websites get thousands of views. If you have a leagues or an events tab, why don't you put it on there, right? So a lot of places do that. Um, the other way I say we can get the word out is through email, right? Email advertising costs nothing. If you have a partner, which again, in, in this case, the golf course is a partner of ours. How can we be a part of what other things that you promote, right? Can we be included in those newsletters of what's happening? Um, I think email is the most powerful tool still, right? We're all, it's on everyone's phones now, unfortunately, or for, you know, for better or worse. And, um, being included in somebody else's email is a great way to be advertising for yourself. Right. So, um, we, we are in other people's emails and then also how could we be included in your social media posting as the kind of the fourth pillar, right? If you're regularly posting about events and things happening at your golf course, well, here's this flyer ready-made you can share on that medium too. So, you know, we found one thing 
that can be used four different ways to help um, spread awareness about the business that ultimately um, is a zero spend in the advertising column. I, I love that how you created these partnerships with these golf courses to be able to sort of piggyback on their already established and existing audience and members. That, that, that That's great. That's genius. Thank you. Yeah. And I would say for anyone that is in the business of creating you know, partnerships and, and trying to figure out a business model that works with a partnership from the very get-go, none of this would work if it wasn't a 100% win and 100% benefiting the golf courses. In our business model, um, golf courses retain 100% of their posted greens fees that they would otherwise get from a golfer. So there's no discounting involved. Um, they are, I would say, every reason to be motivated to help promote this. If they are interested in having guaranteed bookings, which which is essentially what we do. Mm-hmm. Right? A restaurant goes out and tries to get bookings to fill up their tables. We are out here saying we can book players every week to come and be a part of your golf course. If you if you would rather have bookings than just an open T-sheet where people can go online and pay for it, um, we can help bring that to you and you're going to get 100% of the revenue you would have gotten if people just booked it. So that having that mindset and having that pillar of the partnership is what makes them so willing to work for us both to work with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there was even, you know, a percentage that was uh, different in that, if it, if it was, if it wasn't a hundred percent beneficial, um, it, it, none of this really would work very well. Twilight Golf Association, it's a for-profit organization. Yes. So yeah, we, we operate as a business, um, in the same way that you know any other recreational uh, sporting business would work, you know, there's there's national associations, there's regional associations that run softball leagues and adult um, basketball leagues and flag football and volleyball organizations. Um, that did not necessarily exist in golf. There, there's not a national governing body or organization that was dedicated to saying we can organize golf for you. And many of the reasons are that golf is a complex sport, right? It's not as easy as renting a field or saying, we're going to go rent the court for three hours. Um, There's people that work at golf courses. You have to learn um, the etiquette of how each course runs their business individually before you, um, you can't just send people to, to a golf course without essentially having, um, again, this partnership that we talked about involved with how, how people are going to pay once they get there. So, um, so yeah, we are, um, you know, we've essentially created a business out of helping people play more golf and finding groups uh, to play with consistently and help get those tee times, which now, because the sport has grown in popularity, um, you know, it's it's difficult to get some of these opportunities to play. Everyone's out, you know, especially in our niche, it's after work hours. It's when most people are free. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to, to have a guaranteed t- booking to be able to get out and play once a week is is and has become an attractive uh, thing for people that are interested in playing golf. Is most of the revenue coming in from the people playing golf or is it some kind of partnership with the golf? So not the, I'm sorry, the, you know, the golf and as far as there's a split there or something, or how, how does it work? Sure. I like to say we are a hundred percent membership uh, player funded as far as our, our business goes. So we only exist because of people, the people that want to, opt in and play in our leagues. Um, each league has a, a membership entry. So to enter a league, you are you are paying um, a, a league entry dues prior to joining. 
Um, most leagues are uh, affordable and you know, maybe something around $49 for the season to join. Uh, that's a fairly standard um, league entry fee. That is essentially um, what we consider the uh, commitment from the golfer that they are going to uh, consistently attend and be a part of this group and at least someone that's going to, as I mentioned before, give 100% of the revenue to the golf course for their going rate. So it, you know, if, if the league didn't have a membership entry, um, you, you would run the risk of people kind of dropping in, dropping out, playing, you know, occasionally. They wouldn't be very good, consistent members, uh, people that say, I will be there for, again, for the season, which is not a full year commitment. It's usually we run seasons that are about nine weeks on average. Um, so it's about two and a half months or so of, of time commitment. But um, that membership entry is both uh, where revenue is generated, but also I, I think it's fundamental to the commitment that people make to saying, no, I, I will I will use this. Like I, I paid to be here. Um, I will consistently show up. I will um, I will uh, communicate regularly and be a good, you know, uh, partner in this in this nine week season. Mm -hmm. I'm curious that uh, you mentioned all the different marketing verticals you were using out of all of them. Where were most of the new members coming from? I know you said you really liked email. Was it that or was it another? I find email the most effective because it does seem to be the way that golf courses reach uh, the most of their people. Um, I also think website, uh, you know, being able to, if you're in a partnership type business and if you have your business on somebody else's website, um, that's an incredible way to, to, to work as well because it's there year round. Um, you know, it's something that people can look at 24 seven. Um, you don't necessarily need, need to be open. You know, for example, the, the in-person flyers, while they're great, you're limited to somebody actually being in that pro shop at that golf course, seeing it during the hours, the operating hours when they're open. So um, our, our the way that we've been marketing this association, um, you know, from the start is golf courses help us promote. There are some that have limited resources where they maybe don't have email lists and they don't have websites that are easily edited because they may be run by a township or, you know, a municipality. Um, and so I, we do also, we do pay for advertising. Um, and we use things like Google and Facebook and things like that to try to just bring awareness that, hey, there are, um, if you're looking to play golf, uh, we you know, create short commercials, um, check out our website, check out the course directory, see if there's a league near you that interests you. Um, so we are, we are um, I, I would say we try to take up at least 50% of the role of helping bring people awareness about these leagues. Um, we don't try to solely put it on the golf courses because we do want to ensure the success of these groups. Because we have found that, especially with those, you know, going back six, seven years ago, some of those early groups that um, started, some of those, some of those people play every year. They still play. Um, it is a type of it's the type of thing that um, becomes a part of you know, something, something people look forward to doing every spring and every summer. And so we know that if we can get an initial group started and that we can build that community, it's worth um, you know spending to to bring awareness to it because. Um, once it gets started, um, it's something special to people and, and they'll, uh, they'll continue wanting to, to do it with their family or their friends or their coworkers. Um, so we, uh, we take on a pretty serious responsibility and also advertising as well, besides just putting it on golf courses. Nick, I, I understand you started this while working a full-time job. Where was that transition point that made you realize, okay, I, I think it's now that I need to sort of leave the W2 per se and and go 100% into, into the business? 
It was, it was twofold. I was, as anybody is when you start a business, when you surf, when you, when you kind of create something that starts to breathe life, breathe, breathe life into it. Um, that's again, you know, it's a pretty rare, unexplainable feeling of like, Oh my gosh, this thing that I started actually is working. Right. So that, um, that makes you want to do it. Um, because you're like, wow. Right. And you see the how results. Can I keep... Right. Right. Seeing yeah. results is like, un... uh, now what was the point that I said, okay, I, th I think this is viable. I think this is ultimately scalable, which is where, you know, anybody can create a, the difference between a hobby and a, you know, um, a business that can employ people and actually be some, you know, a, a good job. Um, I would say the point was in the middle of winter, people were reaching out asking about the next year. Right. So I thought about doing it as maybe a part-time hobby again mm -hmm. the next year. And um, there were emails in the dead of, you know, winter and December, just kind of coming through saying, when you, when, when can we sign up again for next year? When can we do those things? Right. I said, if that, that passion um, gave me the confidence that I said, if that exists here in Maryland, um, there's no reason to think that there's not other public communities everywhere, that there's going to be people that feel that same way. Um, and and that was it, right? Recognizing a customer's passion um, was kind of the, it gave me the confidence to say, I think we can, we can do this and uh, the, the people will come back. Now at that time, they come, how, you had started the business. How much? How deep were you? A couple months, or how, what was the time frame? Um, it, it had really just been one summer, right? Okay. So oh wow! I was, okay. I had, uh, you know, I as far as the initial investment that it took on my end, right? You had a, I had to put together a website that was working, uh, you know, and pay the cost of, of doing that and the different hosting fees and security fees, and um, we had a we had an e-commerce platform, and um, and so. You know that was kind of that was already in place uh, before we scaled, and before we thought about actually making a, a larger business out of it for other communities. But um, to to your question, uh, I actually forgot what was the question. I'm sorry there. How, how much time you answered? You said it was just a summer, so it was a couple months in. So you're yeah. a couple months in, and you see you see the demand coming into winter, and you're like, "Wow, this is great." Now, do you immediately say? I'm leaving. I'm leaving my W two. I'm done, and I'm sure you have responsibilities. I don't know if you're married at the time, um, or is it like, okay, let me gradually work to this. I, I can see something here. Yeah, I I pretty much jumped in um, quickly because I knew that if I was going to be able to help get this going in other communities by spring, that I would need to start right away that winter. So. Um, I was not married at the time, which makes things thousands uh, of, easier. <laughs> like makes it so much easier, uh, right? No children, and so um, yeah, the timing of it was at a point where I was someone that was willing to do the groundwork, and I was willing to take the risk because um, you know I sensed that there was an opportunity. I said, "Well, worst case scenario, I can I can you know get another job." Right? Sure. I was I was in that unique window where most people don't find themselves at a time when you're willing to um, do whatever it takes to make something work, I was in that window, um, which is very lucky, right? Because they talk about is luck or skill. Um, it, that That is an example of being lucky, is being at the right time in your life to be able to take on something. Um, because I, I definitely could not 
uh, imagine doing a lot of things that were necessary uh, in my current life. Sure. So when you start, I mean, it's just you. So you're basically wearing all the hats. Um, I'm sure today looks much different. How does it look like today as far as the team? It looks a lot different. In many ways, it looks the same. Um, I'd like to say that we run a really simple business, which doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, that was one thing that I learned in coaching. Uh, that was a, a kind of a coaching moniker that simple doesn't equal easy. But it's important to keep things simple, right? So uh, the business hasn't changed all too much, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that we don't evaluate and constantly um, you know, look into how we can do things better and deliver better customer service and how can we explain things better and how can we um, essentially be a really efficient um, supplier. I hate using that term because it's very, you know, very business oriented because we're dealing with people, but how could, how could we deliver uh, this experience to as many people as possible in a simple and efficient of a way, right? I think when, if you make, you know, your business too complicated, um, not only do you frustrate customers, but you frustrate your, your staff. I like to say that, uh, again, using another sports analogy, you need to stick to your fastball as much as possible, right? This is not um, baseball, and this is not a sport that you need to have a curveball, you need to have a, a cutter and different types of ways to strike people out. Um, you can succeed in business, and you will succeed in business um, the more that you develop your fastball and stick to it um, as much as possible. And that's certainly what has made the difference for Twilight Golf is that we found out what people really like about um, playing in our leagues. How can we keep that exactly the same and then worry about on our end refining it, right? Um, we don't try to offer tons of different products or tons of different uh, you know, options and uh, things like that, right? We, we say, let's, let's have some core beliefs. Let's stick to what we know people like and um, we'll, we'll worry about on our end um, how we can keep delivering that better. Yeah. You know, it, it's so true. And I do love that saying as far as it, it, it's simple, um, but it's not easy. It, it, it's just funny. I was just having a conversation with my wife the other day about a friend and trying, I mean, it can be applied in anything in business and in life, um, trying different workouts and doing this training, then a different training, then jumping after a couple months and not staying put with something and giving it just a hundred percent a shot for a long period of time. And I was telling her, I'm like, if they want to lose weight, it's simple. Eat less, work out more. But it's not easy. Is everyone going to do that every day, day in and day out? That's the question. That's the hard part. Um, but it's 100% true. I agree. Yeah. Yep. And then and I also find that the simpler you stay, the easier it is to pivot and adapt, which is necessary. Um, if you have the, the least amount of variables you have going on in your business or in your your work life and you know, to answer your question what does it look like right now again we do all of the same things but essentially all the different hats that i wore initially um there's other people wearing those hats right um so we have people that are specialists um working in roles that deal with marketing or that deal with customer service um and then we also um you know from a geographic standpoint we have people located that are focused on different areas throughout the U.S. that are kind of, again, delivering that same experience, but in other areas, right? So they're doing the same things that we're doing. Um, we're, we don't have different ideologies or different, uh, everyone is sticking to the same game plan, um, you know, similar to a franchise, but we're, we're not that. Um, but we all um, are under the same umbrella and we, we deliver the exact same products. So that way, 
if someone's experiencing a problem or a question, anybody can help them because we're all doing the same thing. When did Twilight Golf started expanding their footprint? I know it started here in Maryland locally, but then what was the next territory and area and how did that come about? So the first year that I, we talked about really about diving in right away, um, it was important for me right out of the gate to either succeed or fail fast, right? So um, immediately said we this has to we have to get a diverse sample of this, right? The first year, let's, um, you know, I, I said I'm going to look at lots of different places, right? Because uh, so that involved calling places in Texas and California in the Northeast, right? You want to get, so let's get as broad of a, of an idea of does this apply everywhere truly, right? Um, and what I learned was um, that yes, but was kind of what I learned there, right? So yes, it does apply everywhere, but everywhere's different, right? Golf culture, um, you know, for any business that's looking to scale nationally, we'll find that culture's different everywhere, right? So different, you know, different things mean different things to people in different places. Golf is very different uh people in minnesota think differently about an outdoor sport than people in texas do people in texas they can or in florida or in warm weather states um they can they can play golf year-round virtually right um means a little different right um whereas somebody in the north gosh they only have a couple months of, of good weather like it's the passion and the willingness to um you know, commit to something early right as far as your marketing strategies and stuff go um they're gearing up for it right right now it's it's early march as we're talking they're starting to think about spring so um finding out you know how your business might mean different things to different people in different places um was an early learning lesson um uh, which translated into advertising ultimately of how and when people would sign up and stuff but um yeah very quickly tried to get a broad base to figure out would this apply everywhere uh, or would it not when I figured out that yes, but you have to yes, but you have to learn about some of the different cultures of how it's going to work in different areas. Um, then it became time to hire a staff and say, okay, well now I'm going to stop trying to uh, organize this everywhere and find other people that can help me organize it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when you hired your first staff member, what were you guys doing? Were you okay enough to say, okay, I, we can do this. We can start hiring now. The need's there. The revenue's coming in. Or was it, gosh, I don't know. This might be a risk. We're sort of still fairly new in that early stage. It was definitely, um, I would say it was a risk, right? There's no, there's no non-risk thing. Um, there was not all this revenue that was just there to invest, right? This is a um, scratch business that it's really just myself that I put into it. And uh, I would say I, I, I put, I continually kept reinvesting myself and putting the business on the line each of those first couple of years because, because I believed in it. Um, and that I felt that if I kept doing this process that um, people would come. It's kind of like the old, uh, if you build it, they'll come kind of thing. And, um, but let's, but the risk was getting the people in place before that, right? So um, having to pay, payroll and salaries prior to the year starting, that sort of thing to get people onboarded. Uh, that was the risk. That was the, um, you know, the necessary risk, which you, you have to face at some point, right? Mm -hmm. um, no matter what you're doing, uh, whether you think it's a risk or not, that was the, but I, I believed in it so much that um, I would say, and I was so confident in the people that I was hiring and the, and the team that we still have today, um, every single person I've ever hired full-time is still with us. Um, 
um, which is a testament to them. It's a testament to, I think, what we're doing. And uh, I was always confident in the people that I was hiring, so I didn't feel as maybe as much of a risk as um, as some others might. That's great. Now, I, I understand also Twilight was acquired uh, a couple of years ago, right? Yes. So we are now currently um, under the umbrella of another company um, that, that acquired the business uh, at the end of 2021. Uh, and we essentially got there by being a, a customer of theirs. So as this business became to scale, um, like, like everything else in this world, right? There's an app for everything or there's a, you know, um, I said, in order for us to use technology to, to build this business, we'd be better off. There's probably somebody else that's already done this, right? And creating an app isn't always right for every business. Um, it's very expensive. And you can also pigeonhole yourself by uh, creating something that if you end up not needing it, or you end up totally changing it. You're the one constantly having to change the development, right? So I said, how could we, um, you know, avoid having to go out and build this technology? Is someone else already doing this? Was the thought process? There was, and there's a company called Golf Genius Software. They are a global supplier of golf technology. To be simple, um, they're a, they're a software solutions company that delivers uh, software products to golf courses throughout the world. They're the largest. Um, in this market, as far as uh, the number of golf facilities that they are uh, working with, they deliver products that range from tournament management to golf shops, uh, inventorying and products uh, where you can kind of run an e-commerce inside your golf shop. Um, they have coaching products. Um, and so the tournament management product, I realized, I said, that could be used for leagues. A lot of the golf courses that we were working at were customers of Golf Genius. So they constantly kept coming up, right? People would say, Nick, do you want do you want us to run this on Golf Genius? Would you like to do this league through it? We have a Golf Genius account. And I would always say no, right? Because I was like, well, we can't have all these logins with all these different places. So I said, why don't we just try to get an account for our own? So we became a customer of this other company. And fast forward a few years, um, kept growing to a point that we got noticed, I would say. Uh, we we there was attention drawn to um, the, the number of golf rounds that were being played in our account. And, and I think it was maybe how many emails we were sending. Right. So, um, cause it is again, largest company globally that's offering software. We were just one of many customers, but I would say for anyone that's interested in uh, becoming acquired or how acquisitions work in this particular case, we, we became a customer uh, or we became a very important customer of someone else uh, because it was never something that was I ever thought would happen. It didn't seem like an investable business, right? It seemed like a business that was, um, you know, self-sustaining. I don't know. It, you know, you just some, sometimes certain businesses, you just think um, who would want to be a part of this? Um, and it happened because we were, we became a customer of interest to some of somebody else's. At that time, in what territories were you located? Um, at that time, we probably were in maybe 20 U.S. states. Okay. Um, and so I felt like when we initially started talking to Golf Genius, they knew, uh, based on our course directory, that, okay, there's some broad reach here. It seems like this is uh, this is not a regional or a local thing. This is 
having some broad appeal. Um, but yeah, I think we we had we're probably around twenty states uh, with chapters and presence in. How was that conversation? Was I know when you started the business, as far as uh, a sale of it, was it in your mind? Uh, but obviously now this is was front and center, and you were considering it. Was it something you were one hundred percent on board, or what was your train of thought then? When once this possible acquisition started to possibly happen? So yeah, the initial conversation started with um, how can we partner together, right? How can how can we help you? How can you help us? sort of thing that's kind of what I, I thought going into it um again similar to the way that my mindset worked with golf courses of could maybe we create a 100 percent um you know benefit for each other right this company had lots of golf courses that were customers of theirs already um we might be willing to give up some revenue of you know or be able to share with them anything if they help us because at the time our, our which remains today um you know, our business grows when more golf courses want to host our leagues. So I thought maybe that they could be a way to help us uh, host more leagues. And so we had talked for, for, you know, maybe a few months and met about uh, a partnership. And then they had ultimately approached with saying, um, if we were going to truly do this, you probably have to, you, we'd probably have to uh, be the primary business. And so um, I realized that growing was going to be extremely challenging long-term um, without some other partnership. Um, I think any anybody that is interested to scale will realize that because there was a time where I said, we don't have to grow this business. We could just stay with myself and a couple of employees that we had at the time. And you can be a thousand percent content and happy and, you know, and having, you know, maintaining a business, which is hard enough, hard enough to keep a business at, you know, at bay. Um, but, I was in the mindset of, uh, it was also, this was pandemic time a little bit too, a little post 2020, where I thought this business might've been gone forever because we had to shut down operations in the spring. And so I said, no, there's people out there that like what we're doing. And if there was ever, you know, we should keep growing this. We should, because there's other communities out there that probably want this. There's other communities that of people that are the same mindset that let's, take on that challenge and try to deliver it everywhere we can. And so I was looking to grow and uh, doing it alone is just, it's not the way to do it. Right. So we found, I said, we just, we just couldn't be a better partner to do it with. And, um, and so it was a very easy decision and uh, it's honestly, I think as good of a company to work for in hindsight, um, I'm glad we made the decision and it's been um, extremely beneficial to helping us grow um, ever since. That's great. You know, sometimes when post-acquisition you see leadership as far as the company being acquired, it, it can go it can go different routes. Some of them stay for a period of time. Some of them decide to jump ship and leave. Um, obviously, now you're over a year, a year or two into the acquisition. How has it been? It's been fantastic. Like I said, I think it's as good of a company to work for um, as you can. It's a it's a company that's 100 percent remote as well, which is interesting. Um, so they've always been remote and, uh, the leadership team, um, is run by two co-CEOs, which is also an interesting, uh, deal here. And that's part of, I also think the dynamic that the company has in general of why it works so well is that, um, leadership at the top takes care of everybody, right. As far as the, where the focus is. So there's, there's two different people that are kind of, you know, selflessly steering the ship. 
um, which is unique, right? You don't run into many companies doing that, but that type of selfless attitude of, you know, there's someone that's focusing on partnerships, uh, which is what one of the CEO focuses on and the other CEO kind of manages day to day and the, uh, the balance of the, the employee side of the business. Um, that gave me a lot of confidence that would go well. And then since joining on with them, I would say the thing that's made it um, really uh, as, as great as it's been is the trust and independence that they've given us to continue running our business uh, the way we did uh, before the acquisition. So um, very early on, one of the CEOs, uh, Mike Zisman, who's the founder of Golf Genius Software, um, said to me is that, um, so I don't, we don't want to be the elephant, you know, stepping on uh, some other kind of small animal uh, here. So um, he said that that's where acquisitions and mergers can often go wrong is if the, you know, the, the company that's taking you on tries to, to step on your toes and, and or uh, change too many things, right? Because if you're truly doing a business for the right reason, something is working. And so they've given us the, uh, you know, I, I'd say it feels like we're able to still be creative and still have the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the ability to make decisions for our own, for what's best in our division of this business now, um, which has made the difference, right? Um, there, there's been a trust, there's been a ability to almost take on a coaching role with us, which I, I enjoy, um, where I feel like we're being coached uh, more than we're being kind of directed. Um, and that's worked. We've continued to grow. And um, again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I take a lot of pride in our, our staff. They hired every single person that was a part of Twilight Golf Association full-time without any question. They didn't interview a single one of our employees outside of myself. Um, they said, whoever you need to be a part of this business uh, to keep it as successful as it has been, we will... Um, we will bring them on that, which I know every company can't do. Um, but that sign of faith and trust, um, speaks to what, I guess what it's been, right. Um, they were willing to, again, give us that, um, ability to keep the ship running the same way it had been. And that's translated to all of us still being here. Um, like I said, I take a lot of pride in our team, um, being together and, and not having anybody, uh, feel that they weren't important. And so the fact that we're all still together has been really meaningful. That's great. I'm happy to hear that some things have not changed. Um, and there's been improvements, like you mentioned, as far as the coaching. How has things changed as far as has there been post-acquisition any growth or as far as that? Yes, uh, we have. Um, we've, we've continued to grow at a similar rate, uh, which is awesome. I'd say we growing smarter. Um, Golf Genius employs over 75 PGA professionals uh, who are golf professionals that go through rigorous you know, certification to, to earn the, the right to be a PGA professional. And that's, that's who a majority of the company is employed by. Um, and so myself, not being at all from the golf industry, our staff that we built, also none of which from the golf industry, we, we were a staff, we are a staff of the customers like we are staff of the the the, uh, the golfer right we are the mm -hmm. public golfer and now since joining with golf genius um we are around tons of knowledge and tons of people who worked in this industry for you know many years and have lots of so we kind of are getting a lot of the insight of the other side of it right of how to continue making changes and doing things to improve that um benefit the golf courses because as i like to say in this business if we aren't gracious guests of these host courses 
if we're not really taking that partnership seriously and putting them first, then we wouldn't have anywhere to play. We wouldn't have anywhere to place people who want to play golf. Um, and so that relationship has to be first priority. And by working with Golf Genius and having all of uh, the PGA professionals on staff who work with us in everywhere from customer support to marketing to uh, again, mentoring, um, that's been um, extremely helpful to get to giving us that insight uh, for a staff that did not previously have any of that insight. That's great. What would you say you're most proud of thus far in your career? Um, I'm the thing that makes me most proud is that the business has gotten to a point that it's been able to live on its own with other people kind of, you know, it because the fact that it's become other people's jobs and other people's careers is extremely satisfying. Um, you know, anybody that starts a business, it feels a lot like having a baby, right? They call it like, oh, your business is your is like having a child, right? And seeing uh, a business kind of grow up, uh, I feel like the acquisition and where we're at now has been somewhat like your kid going off to college, right? It's like, you, which I don't know what that feels like yet, but um, it feels like the business has become meaningful to other people. And that's extremely satisfying because it's like, wow, this thing that was at once a baby that I had, to, you have to wake up early and stay up late taking care of. Now it's um, taking care of other people. Um, that That's what I'm most proud of. Great. What advice would you give Nick to someone starting off a new business, any type of business? There's lots of advice and there's lots of advice for depending on what stage you're in. Um, you had mentioned, you know, for starting off. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would say the most important thing I think I did, um, which is what we talked about earlier, was was testing the business. Um, jumping right into something without having a clear thought process of where does revenue come in? How do I market this? How do I, am I you know, able to operationally uh, do this, right? Because one, one thing they don't teach you really in business school a lot is, unless you're in entrepreneurial school, is how to actually start a business, right? Or how to the process of filing the paperwork to get you know, taxes, doing your own payroll. Um, I, I guess the best piece of advice I would have to anybody starting, starting a startup is realize that you have to, you, you have to do everything right away. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to find partners and do it with a group of people, uh, make sure that everybody has, uh, you know, different roles and is able to do different things because you truly can't ignore any of the necessary steps early on. Like there's no, um, there is nothing that you can overlook. Like I mentioned taxes and like making sure you're filing payrolls properly. I mean, those, those are all real things that um, if you have any hopes and dreams of this being a full-time thing that you're doing, um, th those have to be done correctly. They have to be done on time. They have to be, um, you know, consulted with. And same thing with, um, you know, those those early days are so fragile of how you're spending your time, how you're spending your money, how you're spending, you know, where your focus is. Um, it has to be everywhere. It can't just be, you can't just be like, well, we're going to make revenue and, you know, customer service isn't going to matter to us, or we're going to market this so well. Um, but maybe the business model isn't going to generate any revenue or um, or we're going to be so good at customer service, but oh gosh, we don't have any customers because we didn't think about um, you know, what's the best way to bring people in. So um, it's really become a jack of all trades before anything else. What's the biggest challenge with your role at Twilight today? 
Um, time management is always uh, is always something that uh, is challenging because you you know the, the more and more it's grown, um, the less and less time you get to spend with uh, on a, on any one given thing. Um, so managing managing time is is constantly um, challenge, uh, which obviously involves you know limiting distractions and going back to what we talked about earlier. Simple but not easy. How can I make my day simpler? How can I make what my coworker is doing simpler? Um, that way we can manage our time better. Um, so um, I would say the challenge is constantly anything that's growing, you continually open yourself to complexities. Um, no, at no point, every single year, there's new challenges, right? And so um, that comes with when you're trying to do new things, you're trying to grow more, right? So um, I, I would say constantly trying to be efficient is um, always what it is the only way I can uh, successfully get through my day. Mm-hmm. That's great. Coming to an end here soon now, what are you most excited about in the future? What does the next couple of years look like for you and Twilight? Yeah. I'm excited about the idea that, you know, I'd say our mission is any public golf community that's out there should have access to open source recreational leads, right? No one should feel the way that I felt at the start of this of there's really not a group for me or there's not a, you know, we are just one way to consume golf. There's many other groups. There there are lots of groups, right? We just think we are one alternative or we are one option of a way that gives people pretty much open access to playing golf and so um i'm looking forward to trying to to find ways to bring what we're doing to every public golf community where there is a demand right every community where there's a you know a local golf course and there's someone that's saying god i wish i could you know recreate that feeling of playing in sports again or having a league or having an outing that we played once a week so um, that's always exciting, right? Of the challenge of growing and, um, that, that motivates me. And I'm also looking forward, um, to, you know, with golf genius, uh, the, the company that we are now you know, working for, um, how can we continue to innovate, um, as both, you know, a golf association, but also as a technology company, um, there's a lot of cool things that I still think we can do to make the golfer experience better. Um, and, and put something in people's hands and, uh, you know, on people's league websites and things that will make it even more interactive and um, engaging. So uh, the tech side of it is also exciting to me. Nice. When you're not busy working, what do you like to do for fun in your free time? The ironic part is I don't play in these leagues anymore because it, it's gotten to a point that we often work at nights. And so I don't play golf uh, as much as I'd like to in the leagues. Um, but I do enjoy playing golf. I, I, I had, I've been able to figure out how to learn to play and play more often. Um, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, we live in the city, so we, we like enjoying going out and, uh, doing everything Baltimoreans love to do. Um, and other than that, I'd say, uh, going to concerts and things like that. I mean, we're, we keep ourselves busy. We started a family last year, so uh, the word hobby is uh, kind of few and far between lately. But uh, yeah, I, I'd say just uh, anytime we get a chance to go out and do something fun, we are event goers that look for uh, you know, things like this, right? We're, we're I'm coming back to the TGA and Twilight Golf Association. We are 
we're our own customer. We look, try to look for fun things to do to, to get us out and be social. That's great. Nick, if people want to learn more about you and Twilight Golf, where can they go to, please? Sure. So we have a website that essentially serves as a course directory where you can find golf courses that are hosting these night leagues. Um, the website's www.twilightgolfassociation.com, all spelled out. Um, so you can go on there, check us out. Um, and you can also find us on social media, um, primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, the handle is at Twilight Golf Association um, for those uh, social media platforms. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Really appreciate you the time. Yeah, love it. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love the show. Um, I love the insights that you uh, bring to our local you know, DMV uh, business community. And it's great always listening to other people and their stories and their journeys. And uh, very appreciative to, to have me on to tell mine. Of course, the pleasure is all mine. Take care. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good year. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.